0: Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into Romans chapter 5. God, we love you. We thank you for giving us a chance on this rainy day to come and worship you, to gather together with God's people, to hear your truth. God, I pray that we, we don't, uh, we're not just hearers of your word, but we, we live it out and we implement it. I pray for, for many people here this morning, um, if, if there's anyone here who has a false understanding of who you are and what it means to have a relationship with you. I pray today it will be cleared up and that we will replace lies with truth found in your word. God, I pray you would bless our time here together and that you receive all the honor. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you've been with us in Romans uh, chapters 1-2, you, you stink, and I stink. And we're all very far from a holy, righteous God. But He loves us incredibly. But we have zero ability to be made right with God on our own effort, in our own uh, attempts to try to be made right with Him. And so God Himself loved us so much that He came and did what was necessary to make us right with Him. And we simply accept it as a free gift. Um, It's kind of like we're all on spiritual death row, and we're sitting on death row, and Jesus comes and opens the cell door and says, I have paid your price. And we have the option. He doesn't force us. We can say, "Ah, I just want to sit in my cell. I'm kind of comfortable here. I'll try to figure it out on my own. We have that option. But he opens the door and says, you can simply walk out. I've done what's necessary to make to, to allow you this freedom, and and so we discover this. And Paul, I just love how he how he puts it, how he phrases it, how he how he gives it to us in different angles, so that nobody's confused. And, and and every chapter I read and remind myself of, I'm just like, no, that's the best verse of how to share the truth. Just sum up the good news in the gospel. Oh no no no! Oh wait, the next verse that Paul wrote that God inspired him to write, that's the best verse. No 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 that 's the best chapter and and chapter five 's like that um, I, I, after going through the first four chapters it 's like, man, this is so awesome, this is so beautiful, this is so clear, and he makes it more clear and today we 're going to look at um, more of more of our response, but he reiterates the good news, but he he highlights a certain uh, interesting element of because of what God has done, and if you have Accepted God's free gift, well, what's next? And how should we live? And how should we respond? And so in Romans 5, it begins with therefore. And uh, if you, this is kind of an old cliche Bible study thing, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you ask what it's there for. Because there's some context there that's really important. Because it's saying based on all this truth. And so if you've been with us, You've seen what Paul has said, just what I laid out. If you haven't been with us, just read read the first four chapters. It won't take long, and you'll understand. Paul says, okay, now therefore, but just in case you missed it, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So once again, and that's another verse, I'm like, oh, wait, that's such a beautiful verse. Spelling out how we're made right with God. Um, That it is by what? He clearly points it out. It's by faith. And he'll say it again and again and again. We'll get so sick of it. That I hope. We get so sick of it. That it's so ingrained. And it's not something. That may not be a good way to put it. Sick of it. But that it is so familiar. That it is so ingrained. That we know that we are made right with God. How? By faith. As much as we naturally want to say we have to do have something to do with it. Some part of our good works, some part of our deeds, some part of our religious actions. And yet time and time again, no, it's by faith. We have peace. And what we want to focus on is what does that peace look like? And how does that completely change our dynamic of how we view our relationship with God? Because a lot of people, when they just when they don't know God's truth. But they have this, this, as Paul argues in the beginning of Romans, that there's, there's still this sense within us that there's something greater than us that created us. And that it's, it's really kind of a ridiculous conclusion to think that we just, we're here out of nothing. And, and all of this, this intricate design and creation is just purposeless and just by accident. Like, there's got to be something greater. Now, if there is something greater, and if there's a God... We have this sense of right and wrong. And we know, as Paul argues, that we are, we have not followed a perfect standard. That everybody has to come to the conclusion that we're not perfect, that I'm not perfect. And because of that, and there's a higher power, how do we stand in relationship to that higher power? And tons of people, and sometimes people with even even kind of a Christian-leaning have this idea that God is, is not, you're not at peace with God and that God is kind of angry with you all the time and that you're just trying to make sure he's not angry with you. And, and part of what Paul wants to say is because of what Jesus has done, if you've accepted this, you have peace with God. You don't have to stand in a relationship with God thinking, oh no, how does he view me? because you know how he views you if, you've, if you're being viewed through the lens of his son that is representing you, that is saying, as we talked about last week, the righteousness that you have now credited to, to your account is the righteousness of Jesus. All right, so it goes on in verse 2 to say, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Again, he says kind of the same thing. That we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And Jesus did it. And how did he do it? Because, because we had faith. I don't, you know, There's just no way to get around how clear it is of how we're made right with God by faith alone. Now we stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So that is, if you have an expression, if you feel like you're a believer, but your expression of living out the Christian life, is not described as this. Paul saying this is how it should be. You should have a confidence, and you should be joyful. And those two things are, I mean, just think, if you don't have that in your life, when it comes to your eternity, and, and the peace that God wants you to have if you have a relationship with Jesus, a lot of people in a religious system, when it's based on us, we can't be confident, right? Because we know we mess up. And we know that, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good enough. If you still have that kind of workspace mentality, you don't have any confidence. You might, you know, you might be really self-righteous and think, you know, man, I'm, I'm awesome. So, so I, I, I'm sure I'll be fine. And that's where if you, but if you're challenged with God's truth and teaching, that's where, where Jesus was so strong in saying, if you have fallen short, on just one point of the law you 've you've, you've not followed any of it it 's tainted all of your and, and if you think that here 's your standard of following the law and you 've done that, he, he, no 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 god 's standard is so perfect that, that and, and Jesus elevates the idea that we think oh no we 're okay so so but in Jesus, we can be confident because it 's not based on us it 's based on what Jesus has done and so we're at peace, and that should produce joy in our lives. So that's what God wants for you. If you know Jesus, he wants you to have this peace, which, which comes because you're confident in how you stand before God. You're not boasting up about it because it's not you. It's what Jesus did for you. And, and man, that sparks just joy in your life. I sound like Marie, uh, the Condi girl, sparking joy. Okay, um, it's like, where did that phrase come from? So uh, there's the gospel again. You know, if you're like, man, I, I just is there a point in the Bible that just clearly shows how we're made right with God and what that looks like? There, we're beginning of chapter 5. But have you seen how powerful Romans is? That Here we're, you know, I could point out any, any chapter um, and point out this theme again and again and again. Verse 3, it says, "'We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials.'" Now, this is something I really want to focus on this morning because I think it's interesting that Paul points this out. Because a lot of people will ask that question, okay, Ben, I get it, and I've read Romans, and Paul is so repetitive that you can't ignore it. That man, we're made right with God, we have peace with God, we have this joy in our life, but life stinks still. And Paul knows that. We're going to read a list of everything he's gone through. He knows the trials and the tribulations and the. And the things that stink in life. But those things don't just go away magically. We're still in a broken, fallen, messed up world. But he he shares with us how being at peace with God and having a relationship with Jesus changes our dynamic of going through those things. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So he says a lot right there. But it speaks to so many people who go through difficulty and ask the question, where is God? And what is he doing? And is he still in control? And he's speaking to people who have put their faith in him. He's speaking to people who, who are adopted into God's family through what Jesus has done. And this is an element that I've seen that, that, that I believe only God knows. But I think some people have accepted Jesus. But they still are hanging on to some things. And not stepping into the truth of God's word in this area. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of really focus on that this morning. But it goes on. Let me finish this portion that we're going to look at this morning. We're actually going to go through 11. Your program says 10. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners why we were still rebelling and spitting in the face of god so it wasn't dependent on us there's a passage there's a couple verses that if you ever doubt god's love for you or you ever think you know well because of this or this decision or or this direction i've gone in life or because of this in my past uh, you know i i know the bible says that god loves me and stuff but there's some exclusions and i'm in the exclusion category No, (laughs) this is very all-inclusive, that we're all broken. He he makes that argument so strongly in the first, the second chapter, the third chapter. We're all messed up. The good people are messed up if we think we're good. The the people who are just immoral, the people that we would consider evil and and declare to be evil, the people who are religious and and self-righteous, we're all evil. That sinner's category applies to all of us. And it says that we, in our sin, are hating God. But God stepped in and showed his love for you in the midst of you hating God, rebelling against God. So when you ever doubt, well, no, there's a passage. Don't, don't doubt God's incredible love for you. He demonstrated it. Verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. No, that's the best verse to describe what it means. You know, it's just crazy. Okay, verse ten. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. No, maybe that's the best one. Uh, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Do you see the contrast there? We were enemies of God, every single one of us. And and it says, in Christ, God makes us. Jesus, what he accomplished, makes us friends with God. Um, in your program, just three things that we're going to look at, and then we're really going to focus on the suffering, this middle portion of these 11 verses, because I think that is so significant. This changes everything. And I alluded to this last week as, I, as I'm reading ahead and Reminding myself of where Paul goes in this journey of how he lays out what the good news is. What the gospel is to these Christians in Rome. To make sure that they know what the truth is. And I talked about how being at peace with God, it it just changes the relationship. When you're in an insecure position in a relationship and you're worried about the security of that relationship, it causes a lot of damage. It causes a lot of heartache. And, and God, he wants us to be in this beautiful relationship where, where we know that it's secure because it's based on him fulfilling it and keeping it secure, not us. And so it really changes our dynamic. Think about uh, kids, uh, your kids, if, if, if they have, I, I share with people in marriage counseling a lot that, that when you make a commitment, a lifelong commitment, why is marriage such an important commitment to make? And why is it, biblically and and, uh, historically, what we've we've uh, striven for? No, that's not a word. Uh, What we strive for in marriage is a lifelong commitment that only death separates that commitment. And uh, some of you guys are thinking, what word was he trying to say? I don't know. Um, That part of a marriage uh, trouble can be if the D word is always on the table if that's always a threat of, well, maybe we should just get divorced. When you make a commitment and you make that kind of solid understanding with each other that through thick and thin, through illness and and pain and poverty and everything, the commitment we made is so solid that the foundation of our relationship is not like, oh, well, hey, if things go bad or if I find someone else I like better or whatever, or I'm not happy because it's about me or, you know. That, that marriage will suffer, even though they haven't gone through with it. But if that, if that you know, worry is there, and, and God says, and we see that in the marriage relationship, which reflects a lot of, of the gospel and what God wants uh, our relationship to be with him. But, but and, and my example to married people who are struggling with that, and I understand that, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but think about your kids. What if they had that feeling in your family? Like, hey, you know, if I'm fighting with mom and dad, you know, they just may ship me off to the adoption place or something, you know. Um, Think of the instability that that, that your child would would have and and the emotional strain and the worry and the, the fretting and the pain. And where do I stand in this relationship in my family? Because you know, if oh, may, maybe my grades aren't too good at school, or I'm not listening to mom and dad very much, and we're fighting, especially when they get into junior high or high school, and oh, oh no, maybe they're just going to disown me as their child. We would never do that to our kids, right? And any kids who experience something where they feel like that, man, that is, you know, it, it really tears at us, right? And it's a very painful thing to think about, and we see the, the consequences of that in people's lives. And so the same thing. God wants our relationship with him not to be something that we're like, well, I, man, I couldn't go to church. It was raining. So I, I, where's my relationship with God? You guys are like, we're good. You know, <laughs> that's not the relationship that, that we have. It's just this solid, secure thing that he, he guarantees us, not based on us, but based on him and what he's accomplished. So it changes our relationship. We we can't do something that, that undoes this relationship that we've we've entered into because again he's the one who keeps it. So number one, it's a new identity that we have. We're we're at the very end of the passage there, and many people don't believe I've heard so many people use the phrase, we're all children of God. And the Bible describes us as all enemies of God. We're all enemies of God. But what the Bible says is if, and and there's a qualifier there that makes all the difference in the world, if we accept Jesus, if we put our trust in him to make us right, then we're adopted into God's family. And we are considered full-on sons and daughters of God. But we're adopted into his family, and that's our new identity. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, But to all who believed in him... And accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see how that's not just automatic? How we make a choice and a decision in that. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And that's what Jesus spoke about and taught about when he said that we we need to be born again, that we're born enemies, we're born spiritually dead. But putting our faith in Jesus, we're given this new life. Romans eight fifteen says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we may also share his suffering. We're going to talk about that. But That is a powerful passage. And now think of how many people you know who have some sense of religiousness or even claim Christianity or claim Jesus. Do they feel like they can stand before God and pr- in prayer? Because what is prayer? Don't make it too like mystical or spiritual. I mean, it is a mystical thing. It is a spiritual thing but it's here's how i define it conversation with god it's the basis of any healthy relationship is is communication and it's simply having a conversation with god and it's a two-way conversation it's listening a good good healthy conversation a healthy relationship you're listening and you're sharing right and we hear from god mainly through his word but also through his spirit and through through his people but um but just think like This is when when Jesus' followers said, these super religious people who had knew all sorts of different ways of praying and and, and all these just, you know, ceremonial prayers and stuff. And they saw how Jesus prayed and they were like, how do you pray? We've been taught about praying our whole lives. We're in this super religious culture. But Jesus basically, how do you pray? And Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer, not something to memorize and recite. Uh, I like that that Jesus teaches it a couple times, and it's not exactly the same. But he begins it by saying, "Our Father," and in the the original language, it's "Abba." It's it's a intimate term of relationship. That's how we can approach God through Jesus. So so I hope that shows. I mean, prayer should be a basis of your relationship with with God. And do you when you pray to God, you know, is it Okay, things are really bad right now. I need some help. And so, oh God, the one who might, mightest, striketh me down at this moment, don'teth. Because, you know, and I'm, I don't mean to be mocking, I'm just trying to make a strong point. that That if you approach God in this fearful sense that, oh no, here I need some help, please intervene um I 'm just saying that because that's often how we pray if we don't have a ongoing prayer life. Jesus presents something different. He says you can say, Ah oh, daddy, uh, the one who gave his life for me, who showed me more love than 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 I could ever <laughs> express or imagine, the one who adopted me into into his family, the one who I will be with for eternity in a perfect relationship with one who created me and knows me more than I know myself. Oh, God, you're so good. You know, it's, it's that type of relationship that we have uh, with God that's, that's described here. So it's that identity. Do you know that identity? Do you have that identity? That I'm adopted into God's family. Um, number two, we have a new destiny. A new destiny, First John 3, 7, and Paul talks about it, um, has a, a view of like, hey, this life is short. What's going to happen after it? Well, based on our being adopted into God's family, uh, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. So this is speaking directly to believers, people who have accepted Jesus. So he says, hey, we're already God's children. But I know more questions come up with that. But we do know that when uh, that when we will when we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Um, and so, what what I thought was interesting about uh, pointing to our future and what that looks like is uh, it says that we'll be like Christ. Now we won't be Christ. I mean, in the very beginning in Genesis. Uh, the Bible says that God creates us in his image. Now what that means is we're unique in all his creation. He made all these other creatures, but all these other creatures don't they they don't have the ability to speak. They don't have the ability to have a relationship. They don't they don't have the ability to, to have the spirit of God within them. They don't have uh, the ability to have a relationship with God. We are unique because we can worship God. We can know God. We can glorify God. Uh, and, and, and so, but that doesn't mean we're, we're God or we're made to be a God. Um, uh, that's not what it's saying. But it says in that sense, we will be like Christ. Um, and, and we can't even imagine that. The description of it's like, you know, we don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but it's going to be greater than we can imagine. We had some discussions in my life group about heaven, because that just comes up. And and sadly, we've had horrible views of what heaven's going to be like, I think, just through, I don't know, movies or something, you know? And God's going to be like Morgan Freeman. God's got this cool voice, and, and we just, you know, we're, everything is going to be white, you know? And, and we're going to have a harp, and we're going to have our own little cloud, and, you know, uh, and that sounds more like hell than heaven to me. So... <laughs> Don't take that view of heaven. That's not what the Bible describes at all. Here, here's the, the just one statement that I like to say. When we look at God's word and it tries to give us some pictures, you will not be disappointed. So, so if you, I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up in some churches. I always hesitate to say this, but it's just a reality. I hated going to church, especially as a kid. Ugh, I just dreaded it. It was, it was painful, it was boring, it was, and that's why one of our goals is that kids, like, drag their parents to church because they love church. Uh, because we're not just here to entertain them, but we think if, if, if we engage them and we love them and we teach them God's word in a, a, um, in a fun way, we, we, we think that's a good representation of what it looks like to follow God. It's not, it shouldn't be a miserable thing. But sometimes, so as a kid, I viewed heaven like church, and, and, and I didn't have a good view of it. And so I was not very excited about heaven. I, I, I thought of a ton of disappointment, you know. Like, is my video game system? It's not going to be there. Just my stupid harp, you know. And so, so I, I don't have all the answers. And there are, there's some. You can really dig into scripture. And, and we, get some, we get some pictures that, that are intriguing. Uh, but, but bottom line, I guarantee you, we will not be disappointed. And, and why? Because we'll be in the presence of Jesus. And, and we'll be in the presence of, of, of God and have this perfect relationship with the one who loves us and created us. It's not about us in some great place for us. It's about being with, with God and being with other people who who love him. So we have this new destiny. Daniel, some of you ladies are studying Daniel 7.18 says, but the end, the holy people of the most high will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. It says that we'll be ruling with God. Um, And and so this will be just a greater picture and understanding and idea uh, of this relationship we'll have with God and how we'll be uh, working in concert with him and and a part of of this greater thing. That's a whole nother series we could go into. What will heaven be like? Um, And then... Uh, Going into, I skipped a whole page. Okay, number three, we have a new view of suffering. And as we end this morning, that's what I want to kind of focus on. Because I think that is significant. Of all the things Paul says, and he's reiterating, so we just have to know these things are so familiar, he throws in this concept of suffering. Because he knows that's a big deal, and that confuses us. And why do we have to continue to suffer and why would if God's in control and if he's all powerful, what's up with suffering? So he mentions one thing is that God can use it for good, that he can take the difficulties that we go through, and and the best example that many of you have heard me say many times is man, it is insane to me that and it's just a few weeks away, that we call this Friday, it's gonna be what, the nineteenth this year of April? What do we call it? We call it Good Friday. Is that not insane? It is the worst, most evil, horrible thing humanity has ever done. The only perfect person, God himself, comes, on, comes to this world, puts on human flesh, loves people, heals people, um, teaches people incredible truths. And what does humanity do? They humiliate and torture and put to death. Jesus on a cross, and we call it Good Friday. Sound <laughs> not weird? But that's exactly, that's to me the best illustration of how God can use horrible circumstances and horrible things, because we call it Good Friday. I guarantee you, the people who love Jesus that Friday, that Saturday, they're not calling it Good Friday. They're going, God, where are you? And why are you allowing suffering? And why would you allow this to happen? And how could you ever make any Sense of any of this and it's not till Sunday and it's not till probably even understanding more of what the implications of all that is that we go oh that was a part of the the crucifixion and the resurrection all of it I like how Shane put that but that was part of the greatest thing that's ever happened for humanity wow what a contrast and so um, Paul says God can use suffering in, in different ways, and, and one thing that he mentions is to, to strengthen our character and to grow us to more of an understanding of who God is. That, that, that we can identify with what Jesus went through. As we suffer a little bit, we can go. Jesus suffered ultimately for us, and we can appreciate and, and love that more. Now, but but here's a caution, a huge caution, because I hear this phrase thrown out a lot. My stomach t- turns. And, and I hear a lot of people say, um, well, everything happens for a reason. And what I worry, if we flesh out that statement of what that means, is that, that God somehow is going to take everything and make it good for everybody, and it'll all be fine. And, for, you know, everything happens for a reason. And just think of that statement. Like, what does that even mean? For what reason? That's the question. Like, what is the reason? In Romans eight twenty eight, we need to know what God's word says about this. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what we do with that verse, and I think we take this cliche phrase, and we cut it in half. And we say, and we know that God, in all things, God works for good period but scripture doesn't put a period there that's not where the verse ends there's a huge qualifier there for those who love him who have been called by his name for those who what we're talking about have put their faith in Jesus for those that's it for those who have not put their faith in Jesus he does not work all, all things for good uh, that is not the case. And, and if, you, if you work that out, we won't get into deep philosophical ideas, but it kind of it puts the blame on God. It kind of says, hey, it's necessary for every evil, bad thing for ha- to happen, and God allows that, and somehow if he's in control, he orchestrates that. And I don't want to get too confusing on that, but, but basically, that's not true. <laughs> God gives us choice and free will, And in that choice and free will, there is sinful, broken people who do horrible things. And those aren't, we do not in any way, just because God allows those things, doesn't mean that he is the author or causes or desires those things. And those are, you know, these are kind of big ideas that sometimes we have to wrap our brains around. But, Scripture is clear that somehow if you love God and you put your trust in him and he can change your identity and relationship, he can take whatever horrible thing you've gone through or are going to go through. There's kind of three groups of people, right? I've just come out of some difficult thing or I'm going to go through some difficult thing or, wait, I forgot the third one. Because Jesus promises us that, we're, that this life is full of trouble, that in this life you will have troubles, why? Because it's broken? Don't blame God. Blame Adam. <laughs> blame yourself. <laughs> it's us who have chosen sin and have chosen to get, go against God's way. And he steps in and provides a solution. And somehow, because he's God and he can do the miraculous and the supernatural, he can take any bad thing that you've ever gone through or going through, will go through, and turn it for something beautiful and good. Only for those who are in Christ Jesus, though. And I think Scripture's clear on that. So don't look at every circumstance and every decision and every bad thing that happens and go, oh, don't worry, things happen for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, but the reason might be because that's evil and sinful and horrible and never should take place. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. And will last forever. You know who said that? This dude Paul of course. When in doubt. We're talking about the New Testament. It's Paul. So Paul says this. Which I think is insane. Because of what he's gone through. So real quickly let me read. What he calls. uh, In this um, small. And and things that don't last very long. Um, In some translations. It's light and momentary. But here's some things. Paul's gone through in 2 Corinthians 11:23, are Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times, uh, whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Uh, three times, I was shipwrecked. Once, I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as uh, from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities in the deserts, and the deserts and on the seas. And I've faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, and I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then beside all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches, who is weak without my feeling that weakness, who is led astray, and I do not burn with anger. Holy cow, Paul. You call that light and momentary? You call that small and not lasting very long. And, and I, there may be people in this room who have gotten through even more difficulty than, than some of these things. But this is the guy who views suffering in the way God wants us to view it. And, and he has this attitude that, man, I, I, to live is Christ, is one of his most famous sayings. But to die is gain. To live is is to express, to, to walk with Christ, to, to share Christ with other people, to have Christ live through me and reach other people and, and have this incredible impact, and to die his gain. Now, he's not just some crazy, like, nut job, you know, guy that will never attain. This is what God wants for all of us, not for us all to suffer. And Paul suffered, I think, in a really unique way that I hope none of you have to go through. I hope I don't have to go through but it says something about the suffering that I guarantee you, you will go through and that we'll all go through that in the midst of it, we have a God that brings in a comfort that passes understanding as the Bible says, a peace that passes understanding. And that's, that's one of the gifts that it, we, so in this relationship with God, as we wrap up this morning, we view suffering differently that God can use it for his good. Somehow he can build my character he can use it to, to, to somehow draw other people. He can, he can completely flip it upside down when we think there's absolutely nothing good that can come out of this. And so, so that's a huge point that Paul makes that, that, that as we continue to go through Romans, he's going to point out the so what. We're, we're, we know God through faith. We're made right with him. We're sons and daughters. Now here's some beautiful so what's that, that happen as we walk in this life. So uh, just a couple things with this. Number one, don't be surprised when life gets tough because we are promised that it will. P- First Peter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fury tri- uh, trials you were going through as if something strange were happening to you. You ever do that? Like, man, all this stuff's going wrong. Like, this is weird. This is crazy. I said yes to Jesus. Isn't my life supposed to be perfect now? No. And sadly, sometimes people falsely teach that, but but no. Peter says this, Jesus says it, Paul says it, no. But that's not some strange thing. You're in a broken, sinful, messed up world. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Um, The other thing is to rejoice in it not for it. The Bible is not saying, you know, somehow we're like, yeah, I'm going through really hard things and it's really painful. And I, man, I guess what Pastor Ben was trying to point out to me is I should just be really glad about all this pain. No. And, and Paul, he ran away from it as much as he could. He'd pull out his Roman citizen uh, card at times to go, hey, hey, I, I've got some rights and you can't trample on them. And you don't step into the pain going, oh, somehow I'm a martyr and, and, and I'm, you know, that's more trying to, you get more glory or something. That that, that, that's, that would be inappropriate. There's nothing wrong with avoiding pain. There's nothing wrong with, a, you know, people trying to help people get out of painful things. So, so that's not the point. The point is that we rejoice not uh, for the pain, but scripture is clear in Thessalonians 5.18. We don't have to, time to read it, but in the pain. Um, Here's a description as Paul, uh, I hope this, this kind of brings it home as, as we really do close. I promise, maybe. Ricky said don't close. Okay. Um, pregnancy. You ever think about this? When a lady is pregnant, we congratulate them. Is that not crazy? They are going to go through some pain. They are going to, uh, you know how much kids cost nowadays? Like, the lifetime of the expense of your kids is like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. Now they're saying, and, and and you know, women have to go through this horrible. I mean, if men went through the pregnancy thing, uh, like everyone would only have one child, right? Um, but but God designed women to do that, and and we congratulate them. Yet they're going to go through pain. They're going to you know they may have you know physical things that aren't just not loving, and I mean just all sorts of things. Why do we congratulate them when they're pregnant? Because we, we know that something good comes out of that. We know that God can, that, that family and, and, and just the sacredness of life and the beautiful gift of children is a beautiful thing. And, and, and that's what Paul is pointing us to and saying, um, you know, that's, what, that's how we can view Uh, pain, that that if we trust in God, we trust him enough to forgive us of our sins, can we trust him that he can work all things for those who love him, he can can do something good even through difficulties. And and the last thing I want to share is don't let pain define you. Um, uh, Some people um, say that is their identity, is the difficulties they've gone through. And that's not what we should identify in. We should identify in Christ. Let pain, what God, what Paul is saying, and what Paul allowed difficulties to do, is he allowed pain and suffering to shape him. For God to use it in a miraculous way, can't describe it or explain how that works. Sometimes we see see some examples and go, oh, look, this happened and it was bad, but God used it for all this wonderful things. So, you know, sometimes we can't see it this side of heaven. But allow what what God wants difficulties in our life to do is shape us to be more like Christ, to understand him more, to to trust in God that he can do something through it, to give it to him, to depend and trust in him through the difficulty. But not to self-identify and say, okay, I've gone through this pain, and so now this is who I am, and this is how I want to be identified, and this now I want the, the, the attention or the sorrow from other people or whatever. Paul never does that. And he doesn't teach that, and Jesus doesn't teach that. God wants us to be better through it, not bitter through it. Um, And then, for those of you who are like, oh, okay, now I've got some tips to share with people who are going through difficulties. Don't. (laughs) Hey, maybe they could listen to this message. Don't do that. Like, don't give unsolicited. The Bible says to weep with those who weep. That we as, as believers, we can come alongside and suffer with those who are suffering. We can also rejoice with those who are rejoicing, we're called to do. But I encourage you, if you know people who are going through difficulties right now, to just listen and to just love them and be there with them and go through it with them. You know, don't, well, here's, some, here's five points that Pastor Ben preached. Um, so don't use it in that way. Do you have peace with God?